From an outside perspective, restaurants are the perfect getaway. Great food, inviting atmosphere, comforting environment. It's an all-around fantastic time for friends and family alike. Though it can be beautiful and enriching from the inside perspective, as a guest, one doesn't see the hardships and stressors of creating a wonderful experience. Every restaurateur goes through struggles and challenges that could make or break them. This podcast aims to explore that, pulling back the curtain and understanding what it's truly like to run these establishments as told by those who do it. I'm Justin Warner, and you're listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. Who are you and what are you doing? Oh, hi. Well, I'm Rebecca. I'm Rebecca Golden. I have no idea what I'm doing. I think I'm owning a restaurant right now in Phoenix, Arizona called Lovecraft. And uh, yeah, it's a beer bar that started, it started out as a beer bar with a little bit of food and it's turned into a restaurant, a restaurant with a ton of beer. Wow. Great. We're how many, right how many beers are we talking? So we have over 130. So we have 25 on tap and then we have a case that holds about a third, about a hundred or more. Wow. It's, it's great. They're all like independent breweries. They're nothing main, even mainstream independent non-chain breweries. We don't carry those. So, so things like even Sierra Nevada is too big for us or Samuel Adams or things like that. We only do independent breweries. Cool. Yeah. So where did you get the idea for this? I had wanted to open a beer bar in my neighborhood. I, I thought in Phoenix, it's a lot of like little suburby places. And I thought it, there was a need for it. I owned another restaurant in the same neighborhood that I had sold. And I saw a location and I thought it'd be really good. The one thing that I didn't notice, our, our area is not, there's not a lot of walkable area, especially in Phoenix. It's like everybody drives everywhere. So I knew I needed to have a little bit of some food and the location that I got had a kitchen in it. So we had a kind of like a sushi type of menu where you would pick and choose like tapas, I guess, or like tacos, single tacos or single slider buns. We do smoked meats. So Texas style smoking with New Mexican style food. So there was this like interesting combination with the both of those. And so, yeah, that's, that's basically it. It just came from knowing that I need, the need was there in our neighborhood in this location. Got it. And how long have you been operational? It'll be four years in December. Wow. Congratulations. So yeah, through most of the scaries. So what is your function within the restaurant? I basically do everything but maintenance. I, my partner, he's, my roles changed going into it. I did not want to manage staff. It's not my strong point. It's something I really don't enjoy doing. So my role was, or is, is basically everything like marketing, menu development, design, interior design, um, any events, accounting, payroll, all that stuff, everything, but mostly managing employees, day-to-day managing and any kind of maintenance. My, my partner, who's my boyfriend, is, my, is an engineer, so he can fix anything, literally anything. So, Well, that's a helpful skill to have. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be creative and then have somebody who can actually implement those ideas. So when you were a little kid, did you think, you know what, I want to run a craft beer bar? No, gosh, no. No, I just want to be creative. That's all I, I, you know, that's what I love about this business is there's a lot of creative outlets in this space. There's the menu, there's the music, there's the marketing, there's the design of the actual place, you know, there's landscaping. So all these little components are really creative components that I enjoy. And that's what I've always wanted to be as an artist that can create. Uh, this just so happens to be my palette. I do like the fast pace and the ever-changingness of the restaurant. 
And that's, I think what I was mostly attracted to that, you know, and interactions being so small, you have guest interactions that last, you know, an hour or two. And of course you have people coming back regulars, but it's just, I like, I like that part of it. So no, I never imagined. I, I didn't, it was in early twenties when I realized I wanted to open a restaurant. That's when that dream started. And so what were you doing beforehand? So I, my degree was in graphic design and I got my degree in that. And then I went to a huge corporation. I worked there and then I ended up leaving because it was at the time when like very little small businesses had websites. The corporation I worked for was Cisco, which invented the internet, essentially. I learned there, even though I was a, a graphic designer, they actually, my, my, I was entry level. They were like, basically, you, learn, you need to learn how to program. And programming then, at least front end programming was really basic. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on. But I did learn how to program at least. And, and then I learned how to work with programmers. So I, on the side, I would like build websites. And so then I really realized at that time, like the only people who had websites were these big companies. I was like, oh, I could really make good money being a designer and a developer making websites for small businesses. So I went in to quit at Cisco and they were like, okay, well, we actually still need your support. So we'll just pay you basically a ton of money to, to have you contract with this as long as you can give us 20 hours a week and you can go off to your other business, you know, open your new business. And during that whole time as well, I was a server at an Italian restaurant that I worked for for like 10 years off and on, but I was there mostly. So I always stayed in the restaurant business. I really liked serving and I really liked serving with that family that I worked with. So those are the two things I did. And I did that. And then when I, I was living in this neighborhood and there was a little coffee shop that was failing and I was like, Ooh, that would make a really cool like wine bar. And so I waited for them to go out of business. And that's when I opened my first restaurant. What did you bring with you from your, your previous sort of more corporate jobs into this restaurant that is, you know, for locals by locals? It's funny you say that. Unfortunately, the biggest thing I brought was all my systems. And I've, I've, I've had staff say that to me, like everything, it's supposed to be a local place, but you have all these like operational things and, you know, like lists and just very organized like that, like standards. And that was, I mean, that's one thing I think just cause I'm like ADD anyways, like for me to function in life, I have to be super organized. Otherwise it's total chaos. That already was part of my nature, but I brought those systems in, you know, in, in a corporation, I mean, everything from the color palette to the font, to the vignettes you use, everything is standardized. So I brought kind of that standardization into this local thing. But I really believe that is the reason, one of the reasons why local restaurants can now compete in this market with chains. I think that local restaurants used to be really disorganized. Technology didn't exist. So you every, you know, you were doing things by hand, like sales tax and accounting and all this was by hand. Well, now that these things are are provided are on the mainstream, you know, anybody can get a POS system and afford it, right? If they have an iPad, that's really changed the arena for local businesses and having standards. Cause you, even though people want to go to a local place, they still want it to taste the same every time they come in. And if you don't have your cooks trained the same way, or you don't use the same verbiage when you're taking orders or, you know, those things, people, people just don't like that. They want to have consistency when they come into a place. For sure. So talk to me about the origin of the name Lovecraft, because (laughs) Lovecraft does, you know, it's, it sounds homey and heartfelt, but it sounds like behind the homey and heartfelt presentation, there is like a, 
you know, there is a CPU at work. So we we kind of messed up on the name and branding. <laughs> it's been difficult. We I got outvoted. I didn't want to name it Lovecraft, but it, it came from the love of craft beer. So that was the origin of my 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 partner came up with the name. And, and the reason we really liked it, it was because in our research, we discovered, oh, there's an author who's out of the trademarks domain. We didn't know anything about love HP Lovecraft. We just knew there was an author about in and we didn't read his his stories or anything. So we were like, oh, this is great. So this name will never be trademarked. So we don't have to worry about trademarking or anything <laughs> like that. So it was good for us. So we're like, oh, cool. So love of craft beer, because we were craft beer bar and then non-trademarkable. And so we went forward and actually the, the, the design around the place was already kind of this like dark Victorian Baroque kind of feel because I had these, this antique couch and some antique stuff that I really liked. I was already kind of going that direction. So the name and the logo kind of went in that direction anyways. And then right before we opened, we had an artist come in. We're going to have him paint a mural of H.P. Lovecraft. And he pulled us aside and was like, I don't know if you know this, but he was really racist. And you might want to <laughs> you might want to not go that direction. So we were like, oh, all right. So we're going to keep the name because everything's the signs up. I mean, you know, signage is 20 grand, all this stuff. But we're just going to not promote any part of that. But it still was, you know, the point of it was that we were supporting and not only the love of craft beer, but craft furniture, the antiques, the food, the wine, all the stuff that was crafty. That's that's really what we were trying to go after. And then for me, when I, I designed the logo, I, you know, we were just a beer bar. So it really didn't matter what our identity was. Well, as we turned into a restaurant, a new Mexican restaurant. It did the logo, which is like these upside down hearts and this eyeball, like doesn't make any sense at all anymore. Well, that does sound like a predicament, but it sounds like, you know, if you've gotten this far, you know, four years in, that's the only major hiccup you're having or hand wringing moment that maybe it's really not that, that bad because something tells me if people didn't, weren't picking up what you were throwing down en masse, you would have no customers. True. True that for sure. I mean, I think it's like, it's, it's awkward enough. And when you come in, it's like the theme is all, you know, different. You know, we just opened our rooftop patio and we have a six foot chandelier that just sits out in the middle, basically on the street. It's just, it's really cool the way it's suspended and stuff. So I think people are just used to it being kind of a weird, funky place with really great food and a lot of beer. And we have a full bar too, but you know, all of that. So they maybe, maybe it's okay. Cause it's local and they're just, we're allowed to kind of get away with just not, you know, having everything perfect and proper. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> what was the inspiration for a New Mexico influenced menu? Me, I'm from New Mexico. Yeah, whereabouts? So, yeah, <laughs> I'm from Las Cruces, which is cool. southern New Mexico by, by the border by El Paso. Yeah. Oh, you, you've been? Yeah, for sure. Cool, yeah. So there's some, you know, it's, it's you know, growing up there is not super awesome, but there are amazing things in, in New Mexico uh, and especially southern, like White Sands, and the missile range and it's beautiful there we actually have the largest pecan orchard in the world in las cruces which oh, is wow. yeah so it's like a like thousands of acres of pecans so what what, what happened was the previous owners of this business had a smoker when I went in to, to go look at the, the space, I asked the owner if she would mind coming in, just giving her perspective of how things went. And she was super nice and came in. And as we were talking, she's like, you know, I, I have this smoker. Do you want to buy it? And I was like, of course I do. I've never smoked anything in my life. 
So I, I, I bought the smoker and then I ended up meeting somebody and they had a friend and their brother was in Montana and he was like, he had the smoke place that was really popular and they let me go to Montana and learn how to smoke. So as I'm learning smoking and I'm realizing, cause I don't really eat barbecue like that much. That's not kind of my thing. Cause I'm from New Mexico and we eat New Mexican food. I'm realizing that I don't have a style for our barbecue that we're going to be serving at this restaurant. And that's a huge thing if you're not passionate and can't defend it because people will walk in and be like, this isn't whatever you think you're serving. And so I started right before, I mean, it was literally like two weeks before we opened and I was stressed out about the menu so much. So I asked my friend who was a chef to come over and she started drinking and we were having a good time working on recipes. And then she just turned to me and she's like, why don't you just do new Mexican food with the smoked meats? And I'm like, that's amazing. That's exactly what we should be doing. So that's kind of the turn we took. So we, we have barbecue stuff, but we're mostly New Mexican stuff. Got it. How do you feel about chilies? Like New Mexican chilies? I think there's multiple things. Um, one, the terrain that they're farmed in, it's just the perfect place, the perfect time, the perfect soil. And then it's the way we New Mexicans cook. So I didn't, when I moved to Phoenix, I didn't realize there was New Mexican food and Mexican food. And so I came here and everything, I don't know, it, not that there isn't good places here. I just was shocked because everything was like, didn't have a lot of flavor and it was cooked really fast and grilled and like the Sonoran kind of style and nothing was spicy. I mean, I literally went into a place one time and their salsa tasted like marinara sauce. And I'm like, this is so crazy. What's wrong with the food here? And it took me a long time to realize in New Mexico, we slow cook everything. So when our sauces are made, those sauces are, are simmering and boiling for, for hours before we make it. So like say it's on a night we run out of enchilada sauce, we, we won't have enchilada sauce for another day because we can't just make it on the fly. Because our chilies, like the way that they, they release all their flavor from that slow cooking process, which is interesting because that's how barbecue is, right? Like a brisket, you cannot ever cook a brisket in a short period of time, it has to cook to be the, it's prime has to be smoked for 12, 14 hours to release all that flavor. And obviously the fats that are in there for them to, to cook and, and, and turn into butter or whatever you call it. So that's to me, that's the slow cooking process and then using the hatch chilies. And that's the main thing and the spiciness. And if people like spice, hatch chilies are the way you want to go. It's Got delicious. It. Our food is so good. I mean, it really is. I'm so proud of it. It's not like authentic, authentic, because we do, you know, combine the the barbecue. But I just mean like we, that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have smoked meats in New Mexico. But the way we do it is we use the basis of authentic cooking and then we just kind of make it our own way. But it's super good. I like that. And I'm yeah. sure uh, everybody else does as well. You had mentioned earlier, but talk to me about post pandemic staffing. I mean, the reality is I've never been good with, as I said, managing people. So I think it has to do with kind of like the way I grew up and then the, where I worked at the Italian restaurant. My father was very straightforward. There was no, you know, you just said things and you just dealt with it. Right. <laughs> so I, that's how I was my personality, right. Growing up. And then I went to work for this Italian restaurant and they were the same way. It was like, we'd get in big fights and that was fine. You know, things were said and whatever, but you didn't like walk out the door. You just dealt with it. That's just how it was. You know, you knew, you knew where you stood with people because of that. Right. So when I opened my first restaurant, I was 
And I just came from a professional field where people's careers are on the line. So when you ask them to do something, not only did they do it, but they wanted to do it well because they wanted to not get fired and be promoted. And there was incentive for all of that. So here I am opening my first restaurant, which was a coffee shop cafe, and I'm hiring people who are young. And I was grossly unprepared for that. I had never worked with people like that before. And I was so stressed out just from the business. You own a business, you know, it's so stressful anyways. And then not knowing how to talk to people and get them motivated and, and lead them and, and figure them out and deal with their issues and, and having their issues become your issues. And now you're dealing with their issues, like not personally, but you know, professionally, I failed big time on that. That's one of my biggest regrets is that I wish I had been a better leader or I wish I'd had that skill, but I really think that's something that you either work on for people who don't have it naturally, you work on it for a long time or you're born with it. And that's the reason I sold my first restaurant. It was really successful. And I walked away because I couldn't take it anymore. So when I opened this place, the whole deal was my partner was supposed to handle all of that. Well, you know, with everything that happened, I ended up being in that spot again where I was managing people. Now, now granted, I, I absolutely think that, especially in the kitchen, people have been grossly mistreated for years. You know, obviously they don't, in Arizona, they don't, they're, it's changing this January, but kitchen people don't get tips. And I've never thought that was fair ever. I mean, here we, we should all be working in this together. They're doing the brunt of the work. It's a lot of work. So back of the house doesn't get what they should get for the amount of work I think that they do. And here they are coming up to us and just demanding every, I'm not even kidding, like every month I felt like they were asking for a raise and a raise and a raise. And we had no choice but to do whatever people asked. And that to me was so stressful that I... I developed anxiety. I started having panic attacks because I couldn't even say what I felt like, you don't, you know, come on, why are you backing us into a corner or no, you can't just not show up for your shift. I had to just accept it all. And so inside I started to just have like this earthquake inside of me and I couldn't be at the restaurant. I would like end up like running, like leaving. I don't know. It's better now. Like we have really good staff and and it's easier to find people, but it's still really difficult. I'm a, I feel like a true American in the sense that I always felt very privileged that we were able to become successful if we work hard. You know, I didn't come from much. I didn't have much when I moved to Phoenix. I had very little. I worked many jobs just to be able to go to school. And my parents didn't give me money to, to live. So I always felt very proud to have opportunity to be able to work multiple jobs. What do you do to, to cope with anxiety? Two things. I stepped away. I, you know, kind of, this is not the, you know, my, my proudest moment, but I basically had to remind my partner what his position was in this business and that I had spent, you know, almost three years doing both th- all the things, but I would, I no longer could do that. Like I literally could no longer do that. And then I did, I had to get on some medication from prescribed by a doctor that I only took when I went into the restaurant. Make me not so, I'm very observant. I observe the good things. People think I just see the negative stuff. The good things, I just don't feel like we have to go through the whole list of great. I have to do what's best for the business. You know, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I think uh, when I opened my first joint here, I think I signed up for Lexapro just to, I always said, smooth out the jaggies, you know, we opened in 2020. Everybody was coming in saying I have existential angst and dread and anxiety and so on and so forth. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it was no big deal, but it was actually a very good change for me. And I'm still on it and I haven't had uh, any freakouts in a long time. And freakouts are still okay because <laughs> yeah. we're, we're all humans and we too have a breaking point. With that being said, what do you envision for, you know, goals? Where do you see yourself in a year? Where do you see the restaurant in a year? I know for me personally, the only way I can maintain this is to find somebody to run it for us the day to days. We haven't had really any time off in the last almost four years. I mean, there's, there's maybe a week here and there, but it's, so the next year, if we can't find a manager to run it, we're not going to be able to run it anymore. I mean, I just can't, I don't see where the value of life being so short would make sense of having given up sacrificing and being stressed out day after day. So my goal is to find somebody who's, who's passionate and good and who is honest and would really want the opportunity and make good money. I think that it's time that we start paying our GMs and making sure they have a work-life balance too. Maybe we guarantee they work 40 hours a week, you know, so that they can have a life. I don't think people should be having to, it's okay if you want to do that for a while, but I think there also needs to be a give and take with that, right? Like I don't mind working 60 to 80 hours a week. I'm hoping that we can find people. I hope that people still want to do that work in restaurants. And I just don't know I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be the same. Well, you know, hopefully this podcast will reach thousands of people and maybe there's an aspiring GM. Yeah. Listening and smiling and nodding, thinking, you know what, Phoenix, that's the place for me. Phoenix is great. Let me just do a little ad for Phoenix. (laughs) The weather is great. We're actually growing. The local vibe is is finally happening here. It's becoming more creative and cool. And there's a lot of growth opportunity here. I mean, there just really is. This is the one one place, this one uh, one of the economies that's done really well during pandemic and everything. So, yeah, maybe. Indeed. And speaking of the future, what advice would you give to someone who wants to join the hospitality industry or someone who dreams of opening a restaurant or being a small business owner? I mean, I, the biggest thing is you, you need to be adaptable you know, and, and really having a good support team around you, people who can, that you really do rely on that will, will help you out because it's, there's so many wheels turning. Restaurants are insane. You're going to be working a lot. I also suggest when you first open, don't have your business open seven days a week, maybe have it open five days a week and start small and grow big. I, that's what I did with my first place. That's what we did here. You know, you don't have to go spend all the monies. You can you can grow bigger. And people actually, for us, people have always liked that. We have changes every week. Every week, we reinvest the money that we make and make our place better. And people really love kind of being part of that growth. But yeah, I, I would say those things and be prepared to deal with a lot. But yeah, and make it cool and creative because that's what being local is all about. You know, I think everybody, there's so many places that just want to chain everything. And I'm just so tired of chains. Even our local places here in Phoenix, they're like super cool. And then now there's like five locations and it's like, can we just be creative? Thank you for listening to Resto Talk, a podcast brought to you by Touch Bistro. I'm Justin Warner. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll catch you on the next one. Lovecraft is located at 3128 East Cactus Road in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information, visit their website at lovecraftphx.com.